Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, so Deuteronomy 7, God, God spoke His calling on Israel. If you, wanna, if you just want something fun to do this afternoon, read, Hebrew, or read Romans 11. Romans 11 talks about how, how like, Israel's really still in. Israel's really still at the heart of God's plan because it'll say, we as, as, as Gentiles were grafted in. Like, there's a main tree, and I've seen it done. I, Faith is a plant whisperer, so she can do anything. But I've seen grafting happen. All right? I've seen it. Like, I understand the concept. You kind of attach it, and then it becomes part of it. Well, we've been attached. We're not the we're not the trunk, okay? We're the grafted in branch, and so and so. Later on in, in Romans chapter eleven, he says, "And the gifts and calling of God are without repentance." I'm sure Pastor Jeff's going to talk about this next week, or maybe not. But the but what we have to keep in mind is that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God's given you gifts and there's a calling on your life. And you can kind of walk in it or not. You really can. And those gifts are still there. You can use God's gifts for your glory and get as much out of it as you can. Using God's gifts, and some of them are about gifts of influence. Some of it's about the gift of making money. Some about the gift of communicating. Some of it, there's lots of gifts. But if you use God's gifts for your glory and use them so that you can get what you want, think of it like a slice of orange. We have a great Valencia orange tree in our, in our backyard. And it usually bears twice a year. It's kind of crazy. And it is the juiciest, most wonderful orange tree. It really is. I love now, you know, Valencia, so it has, it has seeds. But I love this, you know, you know how you quarter an orange and then put a slice in your mouth and you kind of got that little orange mouthpiece? All right, you start sucking on it. Oh man, that's so good. Using God's gifts for your glory is like that orange slice in your mouth. Get as much juice out of that as you can, because when you're done with that, you just have the you just have this orange peel in your mouth. But if you will use God's gifts for his glory, then that's where the anointing comes, and that's where the juice never ends. To overflowing, abundant life. He came that you might have life. He could have stopped there. I came that you might have life. And that would be like, whoa, that's so great. But he said, I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. Rivers of living orange juice. Rivers rivers of living water is what he wants for us. Or take, take a drink out of the cup that will run dry. And that's what your pastors, that's what this church is about. That's what those of us that call on the name of the Lord in other places are about. So what's needed right now is moral courage. What's needed, there's a lot of courage. And, and the soldiers and the, people that are, and the people of Israel and what's standing, what's needed is moral courage and the leadership of Israel and the leadership of the United States and the leadership of other people to stand against evil. It takes moral courage to stand against evil and to sustain that stand until the work is done. Because here's the thing. I, I was a professor, as Jeff said, for a long time. And I taught, I taught theology and ethics. So for 25 years, I taught undergraduate and graduate students that the responsibility of a civil government is to protect their citizens. 
from the inside with a police force and from the outside with an army. This is a moral, uh, Israel has a morally legitimate claim to do what it's doing. It's not collateral damage. There's some terms here that people are banding about. One of them is proportionality. Don't fall into the proportionality, the proportionality, because you're talking about the, uh, this is complicated, but I'm going to say it and then work with it. You're hearing people start to kind of push on, well, we need a proportionate response. Proportionate to what? There's an existential threat against the, against the uh, state of Israel. So the proportional response is to protect themselves against the existential threat from all around, meaning they want Israel gone, not just controlled. And Israel has a right to defend itself. That's like, like, like in the history of governments, that's legitimate. And so Israel has a right to defend itself. Don't fall into the proportionality trap that you're starting to hear on TV and other places because they want, they want to limit them. They have a responsibility. Hamas will not stop coming after Israel. They've demonstrated that. Their goal is just. I don't know if it's righteous, but their goal is just. And so as they go, as, the, as we start to see what's unfolding, it takes moral courage to follow through on a moral cause. And that's what we're, that's, that's what we're praying that we'll see. My father-in-law didn't like me. I mean, not at first. I told you we were, I told you that we were, uh, that we've been married for 44 years. I adore this woman. And I did from pretty early on. It was, it was really clear okay, that um, she had my heart, she had my heart right away. Um, and, um, and as such, uh, Faith, Faith is just a little older than I am. So, you know, you didn't technically need to, uh, um, and by the way, that's, that's so intimidated me. Like the first time I went on a date with her, I wasn't going to come on my little white Opal Cadet that got 50 miles an hour, had a 1.1 liter engine. I had a friend that had a motorcycle with a bigger engine than my car. <laughs> So I borrowed a set. This was 1979. I borrowed a 73 Camaro to take her out. All right. Because, and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, this is a real woman. I mean, anyway, so, so, so it was a while. We had been dating a while before her, her parents uh, lived up in, uh, in um, Oregon on the, on the coast of Oregon, a place called Reedsport and um, south of Florence. And uh, anyway, so we were going up there and I was going to literally meet the parents and we knew we were heading toward marriage. And so this was an important thing. And, and, you know, it was kind of an interesting thing. It wasn't so much about asking him for her hand as to do things the right way and present myself and say, we're going to be a family. Okay. And if we're going to be a family, we ought to, we ought to get to know each other. Now I put it that way because there are different times and there are different ways to do things and different families for our family. That's kind of the way it did. But the point that I'm saying is, he knew that I was a Pentecostal, and he was not. He didn't, I mean, he did, it wasn't that he didn't like my, my looks. I was breathtakingly handsome then. <laughs> it, it wasn't, you know, I was, I was heading into ministry, and he'd grown up in a Christian family. He had gone into the Marine Corps for world, uh, during World War II. He was, uh, <laughs> Glenn Widmark was tough as nails, and he brought that tough as nails uh, World War II, he was on Guadalcanal six months after the initial invasion. All right, the only time he ever talked to that, about that, he was in his late 80s cry, and talked about it for about 15 minutes, cried like a baby, and never talked about it again. 
All right. This, these people were missionaries, man. They were faith missionaries. Faith was born in Alaska in Juneau where they had planted a church. They, they were missionaries for the Nazarene church, planting churches out on the Aleutians. He was, he was, he was, um, he was tent making by fishing for salmon. Okay. This, like wherever the Lord would take him, we're going. All right. He got a, during the Vietnam War, he got a, um, he got a class A press pass and went to Vietnam and could jump on any helicopter just about going anywhere with a press pass. And for the rest of their life, servicemen and women would come to their house in Oregon, whom he had led to the Lord in all these places. I mean, this is amazing. This is where, this is how faith grew up. In the, in the late 50s, I don't, know if I don't know if you've ever heard of World Vision, but the founder of World Vision, Bob Pierce, Faith used to call Uncle Bob, okay? And Faith and her, fam, her, her three sibs and, and parents went to Taiwan uh, and then Korea for six years total, building hospitals for World Vision in the mountains of Taiwan and all these places. By the way, Faith's life is so much more interesting than mine. <laughs> but here's the deal. He'd gone to a Pentecostal church one time, and folks realized that he didn't speak in tongues, and so they, they, uh, during a, they, they said, well, let's have a prayer time. And they laid hands on him and, like, really laid hands on him and started praying for him and kind of shaking him until he spoke in tongues, and it just totally turned him off, completely turned him off to the concept, because he was already not, not in a full gospel church, and this didn't do any good. So here comes his daughter with this Pentecostal and, uh, and it was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So he decided he's going to see what I was made of. I told you that. So they had a, over at, um, Faith's grandmother's house, they had a, they had a little garden and he was a beekeeper. He had, uh, I don't remember how many, say five bee stands. You know what a, the big boxes that, that bees are in? So he says, come on, let's go on a Saturday. He says, come on, let's work with the bees. And so I said, sure. Okay. I did not like bees. All right. So I get there. And I'm looking around for like the hazmat suit. You know what I'm talking about? Nothing. Plant whisperer. He's a bee whisperer. Okay. So he says, come on, we're going to go work to bees. And the dude would reach in and grab the honeycomb with, with like an uncovered arm. Would reach in. And, I've seen YouTube videos of this, but this is much more terrifying in person. And bees all over the place. And he just said something to me that stuck with me. I've, since that moment, I'm not scared of bees. He says, they know they're going to die if they sting you. So just don't swat at them, and they won't sting you. I, that's probably not true. Okay, I'm not sure what self-awareness a bee has. But, but since that moment, since that moment, I've just, I've, I've not done. So anyway, so our, our, from that time, our, our relationship grew. And we became, we really became great friends. I never heard him speak in tongues, but, uh, <laughs> but he loved coming to our church and he, we loved spending time together. So he gave me, he gave me a book, not long after that, actually, a little, little tiny book by Chuck Swindoll called Intimacy with the Almighty. Like it's just, uh, you're, you're right. Okay. So it's a little, I remember it's green. I went up to my office before we came here and, uh, and tried to look for it. And it was, it's, it's really good. It's, it's, it would be a small pamphlet, but it has a hardback, so it's one of those kind, right? But, um, and so it was so good, and I actually read it, and I did the whole thing. I'm going to say 15, it could have been 20 years later. 20 years later, I pick it up again, and a, the page opens, a page opens I'd never seen. And Glenn, my father-in-law, had written an inscription, and I found this inscription. I mean, he was still alive. 
But I found this inscription, and it's so funny how something that comes right at the perfect time. And this, it was, it, the, the book is Intimacy with the Almighty. And this inscription, and I wanted to read it to you, but I can tell you what it was. And it talk, he talked about an evangelist that he went to see in South Korea at about 1959 or 1960. And this, this evangelist said something that he never forgot. The evangelist said, Jesus doesn't have favorites. He has intimates. I'm going to tell you that changed my life because I realized how long. I had a um, I had kind of a works approach. I came out of drugs in the occult. Okay, so I didn't get saved till I was 18. I'd already left home for college, went home Christmas vacation, got saved. I'd already stopped doing drugs by the end, by the end of high school because it just the only reason I was really doing drugs is the nice kids, the non-drug kids wouldn't have me, and I needed a group. That was literally what it was. I didn't have the money to run with the, with the folks that were not taking drugs. And I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't sporty. I was an earth muffin. This is the 70s. Okay, I'm an outdoor person. And so I went with the group, but I hated it. I just didn't like it. So I just like stopped and, and did the rest. But when I, when, I, when I got saved, the thing about the occult is it's very superstitious. It's a very transactional spirituality. The thing about being involved in anything but, but worshiping the true and living God, you have to trade something for the power, trade something for the experience. It's very transactional. If we want to call it a transaction in our relationship with Jesus, it's the only one where every time you get more than you give. Every time you just open your, just raise your hands this far and watch what happens. Engage your body this much and watch what God does. At the end of the message, I'm going to give you part of the punchline. Open your hand this much and watch what the financial breakthrough that comes into your life. God can do, I'll probably say it again. God can do anything that doesn't defy his nature, right? But there's certain things he won't do. He won't fill a clenched fist. So what I found was coming in to the church from the occult, I came in with a lot of, uh, a lot of superstition. A lot of, a lot of superstition, like you have to do things a certain way. You have to kind of live a certain way. You have to organize yourself a certain way. You have to protect yourself a certain way. And so I developed these kind of superstitions about God. I, 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 I really like tried to tamp them down. Now I want to tell you, that's why I'm a disciple. And there's also when I was a pastor. It's like, if I want God's favor, I kind of have to do things a particular way. I want, if I want God's mercy and love, now, I would never say it out loud because theologically I would know that's not true. But certain things that we've brought into our relationship with Christ take a lot of time and a lot of work, a lot of brokenness to come to grips with it so you can lay it down. When my younger daughter went through for what was for me, if not for hers, and, and for me in faith, soul-crushing experiences. I, I would like talk to God and I said, I, I'm not asking where you are, God. I, I think I might even have shared this last time. Lord, I'm asking who you are, but the superstition came out. He says, yeah, I don't think you know who I am. I don't really think you do. Lord, I, I put my kids in Christian school. I've been a pastor and I served you. I tithe because faith tells me it's a good idea. There are things that I struggle with too. But I do them. It's like, Lord, I, I've done all these things. He goes, that's idolatry. 
Idolatry is a transactional spirituality where you offer something and give something to the deity and they give you something back. So if I go, if I become a Christian and I go to, and I put my kids in Christian school and I serve you and I tithe and I do that and I put my kids in Sunday school and all that, nothing bad's supposed to happen to me. That's idolatry. He says, come, let's get to know each other again. I'm in my late 40s. Okay, and, we're, and, and we started again. And we started not over fresh. The great part about the Lord is you get to take all of it with you. But I got to know him again in a way that renounced the idolatry of this transactional spirituality. And I got more intimate with Jesus. I'd look around, you know. Frankly, we, <laughs> you... Saddleback Church was two miles from the front door of our church. And you had to, if you came the toll road, you drove by it on the way to our church. And I'm going, and Rick Warren is a, is, he is a good friend. A couple of his kids went here. And, and it's like, and then when they put up the sign that said, come to one of our 27 Easter services, I did talk to him and say, Rick, take a pill, man. Come on. There's more of us out there. This is way back in the 90s. Right? But I'm going, how do you get to be? I was asking myself as a pastor, how do you get to be one of God's favorites? How do you get to be one of God's favorites? Because clearly, clearly you're a favorite. It, I, I could, again, theologically, I know that God doesn't love anybody more than he loves me or any less. Or, believer or not believer. He's incapable of loving some less or more. But, so he, he doesn't have favorites. I can't become his favorite but I can get closer to him. I can't become one of those chosen ones that you decide, okay, boom, you get, the, you get hit with the blessing stick. And you get more ministry, you get more money, you get more health, you get more everything else. No. That is a form of idolatry too, to think that God is capricious. No. There, he, he doesn't love anybody more, but he's closer to some than others. The scripture says the secret of the Lord is for those that fear him. If you want to know more about God, press in close. If you want to know more about God, let's let our lives, not in a superstitious way, but out of love and a desire to draw closer, seek to please him in everything that we do. Trust is the pathway to intimacy with Jesus. Mark 6, 7 through 9 says, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. Now listen to this stuff. Listen to what they're supposed to bring. Take nothing for your journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt. Okay, you can wear sandals, but to wear sandals. And he added, but don't bring two tunics. The tunic is the basic, like, it's the base layer. We'll call it that, right? The cloak to cloak and tunic. Tunic is the base layer. I actually read something. I, I went back and, and looked this up to make sure I was, I was on track. A tunic is a first century male muumuu. All right? It's like a, my mom used to wear muumuus, all right? It was a big thing. Okay, it was a, I guess it was a big thing in the 60s, all right? Around the house, you wear a muumuu. You should see Faith in a muumuu. No, actually, she doesn't own one. Okay, so that's pretty cool. 
All right, so the, the tunic, think of the tunic as the base layer, that, that kind of long linen piece, and then the cloak is what goes around you, and then that, or that's the over piece that keeps you warm. So now let's look at the next slide and take a look at this. Look what he tells them to take and what he tells them to leave. Take your staff, which you, know, which you need to maintain balance. Take your sandals, so you know your feet are protected, and take a tunic, just take the base layer. Now I'm not sure he's not saying don't take a cloak, but he's just saying take a tunic, because here's the other part. This is what you leave. So basically, kind of what you need, take what you need for traveling in general, for any trip, but leave the bread, bag, money, and extra clothes at home. All right, think about, think about going on a trip. All right, Jesus is sending them out. Sending them out, he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He's sending them out to do something particular. This is a training exercise in trust. And he's teaching them. Now, I've always looked at this and always do and look at this like he's giving them authority and he's training them to walk in authority. What he's also training them to do is don't hedge your bets. Don't backstop my provision. All right. <laughs> don't, so don't take bread with you. I'll, I'll provide. I'll give you what you need. It's kind of like, the, you know, in the Red Sea. We always think about the Red Sea, but it's the crossing the Jordan, too, that's really cool. All right? Cross, crossing, crossing the Jordan. I don't know if you ever saw the third Indiana Jones movie. Okay? They're, I mean, they were really, the first one was really good. I'll say no more. But the third Indiana Jones movie where they're finally getting close to the Holy Grail. And he's got to go through these different, these different kind of trials and stuff. And one of them is he's got to take a walk of faith and step out on a bridge that doesn't look like it's there. And you just kind of go, ah, okay, it's there. Crossing the Jordan. The Jordan's flowing, flowing, flowing. It says when they stepped into it, the water stopped. I would like to see that, actually, how that happened. But this was this wasn't the water came up. And now they came across on dry land, like it says in Exodus. This is the water's flowing. And he says, step into the water and it won't be there. That's leaving, that's leaving your place and heading out to a place. You don't even know where you're going. You just are going with authority. But he says, there's going to be bread there. There's going to be bread when you need it. Well, what if I get snacky along the way? I mean, really, this is how we think, right? Why would you bring bread with you just in case it didn't, well, maybe they won't have bread where I'm going, or maybe I need a little snack along the way. Well, no, he's saying, just trust me. It is a training exercise in trust. The bag is kind of that multi-purpose thing where we can just throw a lot of things, all right? I'm going to say no more about bags now at that point, and, and the size of a purse. Faith, when she, I, sometimes I think that Faith brings that little purse just because she doesn't want to carry my sunglasses in my wallet. I'm not sure about that, okay? Don't bring money. Remember, money is a way to hedge against God's provision. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money ruins things in relationships quite often, he says, but don't buttress my provision for you. Don't buttress my call on your life. Just in case this doesn't work out, I'll have enough to eat, and I can, and I can pay for a, for a room somewhere. No, go. You're going in authority. Trust me for the provision. And then don't even take extra clothes. Don't even take an extra tunic. Why would you bring an extra tunic? What would you need that for? Maybe you'll get cold, but can you imagine wearing two of those things? This is not a cloak that you wrap around yourself. This is like, think about, well, yeah, later. Maybe it'll get cold, but even if it gets cold, 
I'm trying to imagine like wearing two pairs of underwear. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that feels kind of bindy. I don't know. It just kind of, all right. It's also so you can trade it. It's something you can trade. So he's just sending them out saying, I want you to trust me. Just trust me in the, in the process. Now, here's the thing. I don't believe the Lord is calling us to live this way. I think this is a training exercise in trust that he did for these disciples, and he does at times with others. But I do believe he's calling us to trust him this way. To trust him this way. So trusting Jesus with my future through my finances. I don't think we think about it that way. That our finances are an expression of the way we trust God with our future. So, um, to the next one, this is how, so there's uh, uh, Pastor Jeff and the folks and, and, and Pastor Fawn and others been talking about financial breakthrough. And when they asked me to speak about this, at first I was like, okay, maybe I ought to just talk about the different ways the Lord has provided for faith in me because we were poor as church mice. I mean, seriously. We, we were, when our first, our first job in, uh, as a pastor, my, I was a youth pastor in South Los Angeles, and I was given, uh, and I was given the, um, we were in Lomita, right next to Harbor City, Wilmington. We had students from Carson. We had, it was, it was quite a place. Okay. And, um, and so we had the key to the food pantry. We had a food pantry for, for homeless and for people that are struggling. All right. Well, we were, we took Franks and beans from the food pantry ourselves at times because God called us to work there. And he, and he called us, and, I, and we prioritized the life that he had called us to versus the lifestyle we wanted to live. So, in t- so I thought maybe I'll take the, I'll, I'll take the, the angle of, just let me, let, me just talk about, um, let me just talk about some of our experiences. But instead, I, I looked, and I, and I want to give you just a couple things. I'm a pastor, so I have three. Um, I, I want to give you a couple of, uh, of things to think about that over time, Faith and I have learned are necessary from the scriptures if you want to see financial breakthrough in your life. The first one is invert the world's values. You got to turn that, the world's values on their, on their head. And that's what Solomon talks about in Proverbs chapter 11. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. Just is open-handed, but increases all the more. And there is one that withholds what is justly due. Like, I owe it to you, and I'm going to hold on to it. And yet, uh, it results only in want. I'm going to hold on to my stuff in hopes and in preparation to hedge against God, God not providing for me in the future. Instead of having an open hand and an open, uh, an open hand toward those around me or toward God himself through tithing, the generous person will be prosperous, and the one who waters will also be watered. Inverting, turning upside down the world's values. The world says all, all generosity, all even obedience to God in tithing is a surplus of all, all, all of my needs being met. As long as my needs are met, then the surplus out of that, Lord, you can have whatever's left. He says, bring, it in, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Respond to God in tithing first and watch that you'll never have a need. You will not. Because even the tithing changes the way we think about our money and our resources. And God uses it, uses it 
it's, it's, a, it's a pathway to provision. The second one is crucify the flesh. This is the deal. This is the, I mean, this is tough. All right. We're familiar if maybe if you're newer to the, newer to the faith, we use the term flesh. That's our old nature. That's the part, that's the part inside of you that's saying, yeah, that's trying to still drive you towards sin. Still drives us towards selfishness. The flesh, the best definition of flesh I ever heard was, it's the internal drive to satisfy me at the expense of everyone around me. So that my needs come first. And Paul says to the Galatians, crucify, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Don't, you can't cage it. It doesn't stay in a cage. You can't control the flesh. That old nature is stronger than your will. You have to nail that sucker to a cross and kill it. Every, every pound of the hammer into the nail of crucifying your flesh, it's screaming at you, stop, stop. You are not going to have enough. You are not going to be able to do the things. You are going to be alone. You are going to be on the street. You are going to, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Okay. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. That's faith in my, that, that by that, that church mouse thing didn't just stop because I decided to keep being a pastor. And I decided to put the call on our lives first, the two of us did, and then put lifestyle things to follow, to seek first his, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all those things would be added. We were married for 13 years before we were, God, by God's grace, able, to, able to, uh, to buy a house. And that came because this thing was an absolute wreck and full of cat plates. Like a cat plate. No, like literally. The woman that owned it who died and left it to the church, she wasn't a cat lady. Like there weren't 100 cats. There were a hundred cat plates, little plates like this, all in little holders, and they had little different things. I promise you, I was walking through one night, and all of those cats were looking at me as I was walking by. It was creepy, all right? And it was a wreck, but God provided for a way for us to do it. 13 years, all of our friends are moving to Marino Valley, doing all the stuff, going out, which then was a bummer for them, but moving in different places so they could own a home. We said, God, you've called us to Orange County, gulp. We're raising two kids in Orange County, and you've called us to, to, to be here and to serve you. So these other things that we want will have to wait. And the Lord provided them. And the Lord has provided all of our needs according to his riches and glory. He really has. Okay, I make decent money as the president of a university. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to tell you that. But he trained us when we had nothing how to be good stewards when, when it came along. So finally, but here's what we had to do. We had to nail our flesh to the cross so that we wouldn't step out of our ministry. So we'd stay ministering to the people that God called us to. So we would be able to, to pursue the call in our lives. And then finally, financial breakthrough comes when we trust Jesus enough to make space in hands and heart for God. Given it shall be given to you. They will pour into your lap in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You know what this is about? It's like a basket of grain. This is a basket of grain that you're, that's sitting on your lap. 
and you're shaking it, you know how you shake stuff and it, and it settles down? Then you pour more in, shake and settle down. God just keeps pouring it. He just keeps pouring it. When we make space in our hands and heart, remember, God chooses not to fill a clenched fist. When we open our fist to the Lord, when we open our heart to the Lord, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. We need to be open. We need to trust God. With, and then the final slide, if you would, once again. Jesus doesn't have favorites. Financial blessing is not a sign if somebody's God's favorite. Financial, financial resources could be a sign that, that some people are using God's gifts for their own glory. And they're accumulating the things of this world, which will rot, the scripture says which even before they die will turn into gravel in their mouth. I mean, people, some people say, well, they couldn't be happy with all that money. Yeah, well, I'd be, I'd be willing to try being unhappy. <laughs> all right. But, there's a, but that relationship with the Lord, there's a promise of provision. There's the intimacy that we have. And final slide, please. There's that intimacy that we have when we come. Or that may be the final slide. Okay. It's basically the first one again. Oh, there it is. Thank you very much. He doesn't have favorites. Press in. I, I got to tell you, this is, this is not, there's no formula except what the scripture says is true. That trust is the pathway to intimacy in G, with Jesus. That trust is the pathway to financial breakthrough. It's only as we trust him. It is counterintuitive your flesh is screaming not to do it. It's hard to open a fist that's been closed for so long, it feels like the muscles have atrophied in that position. But as we open our hands and heart to the Lord, watch what happens in your life. Faith and I are testimonies to this. Jeff and Fawn are testimonies to this. There are people here, we could spend the rest of the day having people get up and tell stories about how God has done that. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, you said that people are blessed who do so. God, we pray for peace in our hearts, Lord, in a, in a world, even in a county, Lord, where, but it's everywhere. God, where mammon seems to have taken over, where the flesh seems to rule the day. Lord, where the, where the provision of other people makes us feel so disconnected from a life that we feel like we could be living, let us find in you the grace for right now, Lord. The grace for what is, not for what if. The grace for today. But I pray, Lord, that you would open the windows of heaven as we would trust you, Lord as we would trust you to a place where we would find financial breakthrough. It looks impossible for some. It looks like it, nothing would be more impossible to come to a place of financial stability where we feel like we have enough. God, you are enough. I pray, Lord, that we would test you like, you, like the prophet Malachi said, that we would test you in this, Lord. You don't call, Lord, you tell us not to test you except in this one thing, trust you with our finances and see that you won't open the windows of heaven. God, I pray that that would be so in all of our lives. I pray that would be so in the life of those that feel so disconnected from this truth. We wanna know you, Lord. 
We want to be intimate with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, and thank you for Authentic Church. Amen. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.